This is an ABC podcast. Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, climate change, and traditional knowledge, and how those things are all connected. And you'll hear about that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week we work with local reporters. They're on the ground letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, how a connection to land in the Pacific means that this man is now fighting to save the thing that's most important to him. When it's time for wind blowing in and high sea coming, they are alerted and they do their part by defending us. So we should return that favour by planting more, looking after them and giving our time to them. And that's how I feel about them. And when this wind blows, when the big big wind blows and blows, I'm not in the house. I'm in the mangroves. And COP28 is happening now. We'll hear from a couple of Pacific leaders and find out if it's been a productive gathering in Dubai. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Sometimes you hear people talk about how much they love the ocean. It's just their thing. Other people... They love the forest or the bush. That's where they feel most at home. And maybe we've all got those places where everything just feels right. There's someone in Papua New Guinea who definitely has this feeling, but his place is different to most. He was born in this environment, literally born, and now he's passionate about preserving these places. All that Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Ben Kadoga from Papua New Guinea, explain further. People throughout the world are driven to engage in certain activities due to many reasons. There are some who work or do certain tasks because they have formal training or education, but there are others who personally develop interest in doing things. We hear about a man from the Motuan village of Tubusirea in central province of Papua New Guinea. Just less than one hour's drive out of the capital of Papua New Guinea, Port Mosby, lies the coastal village of Tubusirea. And that's where we meet 68-year-old Felix Daroa, who calls himself the chief of the mangroves. He tells Pacific Prepared his love and passion for mangroves goes back a long way, as he explains. I was born in the mangrove uh, in 1955. It was on the 11th of August when I was born. My mother gave birth to me in the mangrove. And <clears throat> when I grew up, I became a police officer, a teacher, 
I tried so many new jobs, like uh, insurance manager, and all those jobs I failed because uh, they had to close up and uh, you know go away. And I thought <clears throat> I should uh, I should go to the mangrove to try and refresh my mind. When I went to the mangrove, I realized that uh, there were interesting things in the mangrove. Things like uh, fish were there. I could easily catch a fish there with a little spear and feed off it. Or <clears throat> I could I could find bats, insects, all sorts of insects around there. And my mother found out that I was doing that. And she told me, you know, you were born in the mangrove and uh, these things you couldn't allow people to cut. Now people are cutting it. I said, no, they can't cut. So, you know, I decided to be there for, for them. And that, that's how, how my passion came up. So for that 25 years, that, is, that has been my, my game, I should say. First, when I started uh, doing, man, I mean, working with mangroves, planting mangroves randomly, uh, people were discouraging me. Hey, you shouldn't waste your time doing this. And they'll just grow by themselves. But, you know, these poor things are floating around. And if they go to the wrong wrong place, they won't, they won't establish themselves. So they needed somebody to push them into the, into the mud for them to, to establish themselves. So I was doing it and people laughed at me for some time until I, I, realized, I, I realized that I had to go for training and all that. So people sponsored me to go to... University to study basic uh, mangrove training because I knew the mangroves ever since I was a small boy. I actually know the names of the mangroves in my language. I can name about 38 of them. We have uh, the world sized uh, mangrove uh, species grow in Indonesia as 40, 45 and 44 in Papua New Guinea. And out of the 40, 44 in Papua New Guinea, 38 of the mangroves I can, I can name them in my own language. Now I am trying to put them into scientific uh, category, yeah. Well, scientifically, I, I just realized, scientifically, people, you know, when I went for training, they told me about the importance of the mangrove. But when I started, I only knew that it was, uh, what's the name, habitat for, for fish and the crabs. And those were the things I really loved eating. I thought my time in the mangrove was not, uh, not a waste because as, as I developed my knowledge into mangrove uh, re rehabilitation, the fish and the crabs started to, you know, the, the, the group of the, the fish and the crab uh, that was missing there started to roll back in. Mm -hmm. And I started to see that, uh, you know, I could, they could be just there. You can see them and take whatever you want, but not the, not the small ones, the big ones. Felix is also aware of the importance of rehabilitating and conserving the mangroves in his village, but he admits it's not an easy task. Well, traditionally, uh, I thought that it was good that we rehabilitated because the most important thing we, we used to do was the mangrove that we cut it into firewoods and, you know, you see that it holds. And I thought that was good, you know, because uh, you know, we need the firewood. But then, you know, when I went to university, they said, no, no, we have to rehabilitate it because we need the fish. Everything comes here. Everything that, uh, that 
comes out of their their mother fish or mother sea cucumber or, or whatever comes to the mangrove and then goes back again to where they they were born you know these little things have their brains too so you know they can they can do that i realized that you know i was doing a good good job for myself and the other people so i didn't worry too much about people not helping me but uh, i came to a point where i i started becoming aggressive when i hear people cutting mangroves i started to stop people from cutting i was using my own force because of my size i would hit people in an in the mangrove and i was taken to court for doing that and you know they said you have no right to hit people or assault people in the mangrove they're coming to find things for for them to eat and you know satisfy themselves so and uh, and um, the firewood is right there you are stopping them from getting their own meals to satisfy themselves and you know make them look healthy and all that but after you know going to university many times i then became really aggressive how many times i went to court i don't know <laughs> just to defend the mangroves and because i was told by my mother that i was born and raised in the mangrove so i thought uh, i sat down and i looked at them and i thought uh, these things can't talk and they can't move you know i wish they had arms and legs like us to you know to move when people come in with this axes to cut them i'll tell them to run away you know but that that was not so for them you know god created them to be static at, at the position where they would walk so the only thing i thought to do was keep on planting keep on planting and one day people will start coming to help me in 2 years time felix will turn 70 years old but he is not showing any signs that he will be slowing down anytime soon in his mangrove rehabilitation work this is not many people venture into looking after mangroves because it looks like a laborious work and i can tell you it's the most simplest job anyone can take because you are only going in for few hours and you are out again you know out of the office and nobody's going to complain about it you are your own boss in the mangrove and what i do is i go and spend just few minutes or few hours in in the mangrove to check them if they are happy if they if they are all right and to make sure that there's no x what's the noise around the vicinity where i am and then you know make sure that uh, the ones that are not not uh, staying up properly put them back to their normal size because they only little siblings like little babies are babies need to be supported to sit up and you know and it teaches them how to crawl and all this same to the mangrove you know you have to put it up and, but there's a method that that always needs to be taught to the people you don't push the mangrove seedling right into the soil you you're going to be choking it just a little tip of it you know about 2 cm long you just push it in and you know just push the side in and that's it it will grow firstly it stops the the disaster from penetrating onto the mainland that's the first thing it does and the second thing it's, it supports all the new fish and all the all the little, little things that are living in there supports that they won't run away they'll stay there because they know that they're bigger big boys are there looking after them so the one in the front holds it and the and then the next one supports it and the third one just cool it down 
people people call me chief. I'm not the chief of the of the village. You know, I I like the name being called the chief, but I am not the chief of the village. I'm the chief of the mangroves. Unfortunately, my friends who were born like me in the mangrove, my mangrove friends, they cannot talk. They cannot say that, oh, please leave us alone. We are just new or don't cut us with X. They, they can see. They are living things. God created them with senses. They can feel that they, there's danger. When it's time for wind blowing and high sea coming, they are alerted and they do their part by defending us. So we should return that favor by planting more, looking after them and giving our time to them. And that's how I feel about them. And when this wind blows, when the big big wind blows and blows, I'm not in the house. I'm in the middle. Checking what's happening, if they are going good. And I think they know me. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and freelance journalist based in Papua New Guinea, Ben Kadoga, for that story. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. You've probably heard that COP28 is happening in Dubai. COP meaning Conference of the Parties. And basically, the countries that are there are all part of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, something that's been in place since 1994. This is the current Prime Minister of Fiji. 31 years ago, I was Prime Minister of Fiji. We sent a minister to attend the very first Earth Summit held in Rio. A few years after that, those that attended that summit formed themselves, or we formed ourselves, into a conference of parties. And we're here at the 28th Conference of Parties, or COP, COP28. Pacific Prepared Reporter and freelance journalist Josiah Nanunga has more on this. Fiji's Prime Minister and Minister for Climate Change, Sitibini Rambuka, in his national statement address of the COP28, currently underway in Dubai, says there needs to be a sense of urgency in the midst of the ongoing climate crisis. He reflected on the limited progress since the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, with the globe witnessing an alarming increase in emissions. The Pacific region, he says, faces threats that demands a transformative response, including a just transition, with emissions peaking by 2025. The call for gender-responsive and adaptation-focused actions were also highlighted by the Prime Minister, along with the need for substantial financing. Prime Minister Rambuka stressed the critical need for the 1.5 degree threshold for the Pacific and the importance of phasing out fossil fuel based on scientific evidence. May I join with all my colleagues and uh, on behalf of the President of the Republic of Fiji and the people of Fiji, congratulate UAE on your 52nd National Day. Congratulations. And we thank you for your hospitality. We thank you for the reception we have received and everything you have done for us. 
since we arrived here a few days ago. Ladies and gentlemen, 31 years ago, I was Prime Minister of Fiji. We sent a minister to attend the very first Earth Summit held in Rio. A few years after that, those that attended that summit formed themselves, or we formed ourselves, into a conference of parties. And we're here at the 28th Conference of Parties, or COP, COP28. What have we done in 28 years, or 31 years? It seems to us in the Pacific that we have not done enough. We are sinking. The cyclones are getting more severe. The, earlier this week, there was a flood in Fiji. Areas that never used to be flooded were flooded. And after that, we recorded temperatures more than 10 degrees more than our average for this time of the year. Since 1992, emissions have dramatically increased at a rate that destines us and the world that we live in to destruction. The rate of emissions is a core metric to take stock and respond to. Climate change in the Pacific is a major threat to our very own existence, our survival, our identity. It is clear that we are at a breaking point for survival of not only the Pacific, but for humanity. And for that very reason, I will continue to champion my call for the Pacific to be a zone or an ocean of peace, which includes our collective responsibility to combat, combat climate change and preserve the environment. The environment is our life in the Pacific. I believe that a transformational response is needed. These include just trans trans transition that ensures global emissions peak, peak before 2025. This will require deep cuts to emissions that align with the targets of keeping global average temperatures rise to below 1.5 degrees Celsius from last week's recorded temperatures in Fiji, I do not know whether we're going to achieve that. But I call upon all of us to strive towards that. Otherwise, we'll be under the sea. Otherwise, it'll be too hot to live in the tropics. We must ramp up our adaptation. We must double up on our finances by 2025 and agree on the framework for the global goal on adaptation. I welcome the President's commitment to finalize the adoption of GGA framework by the end of, COP, of this COP28. We welcome the progress this week the lesson on the work on loss and damage fund. We urge the fund to be more targeted to the special challenges confronting small island developing states because we are the most exposed and most vulnerable. It's estimated that $4 trillion will be needed annually by 2030 to manage the impact of climate change. There needs to be Herculean effort 
to mobilize financing and investment that is accessible and cost-effective in delivering benefits to all. For us, it is our survival. We call upon every one of us to please cooperate for our survival, for our identity. I do not know which cop will not have any representation from the Pacific. I hope we will continue to have representation from your Pacific friends, brothers and sisters, so let us cooperate and conserve the universe that we live in. Thank you very much. That was the Prime Minister of Fiji and Minister for Climate Change, Siti Bini Rambuka, in his national statement address of the COP28, currently underway in Dubai. Save the next generation's future by saving the Earth. Our future depends on climate change action. Act now. Save our planet. Our planet is our home. I am Chosaya Nanunga, reporting from the Fiji Islands. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Josiah Nanunga for that story. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. Staying with COP28 for just a little bit longer. One of the many countries attending this year is Vanuatu. And Climate Change Minister Ralph Ranganvanu He recently spoke with ABC's Pacific Beat program and Dubrovka Volada. We go into COP uh, once again hoping for the highest ambition on all the targets across the board, particularly finance to assist uh, adaptation, our development, our development pathways. Um, But also we need some very strong action on uh, emissions reduction. We want to see also this loss and damage fund operationalised and be able to Uh, provide funding to the most vulnerable countries as soon as possible. In terms of uh, the global stock tech, which will be finalised at this COP, uh, it's going to show we are way off track in terms of meeting all these targets. And so hopefully it will spur the international community to, you know, really make up for that lost time, uh, make up for that loss in uh, achieving our targets with some very ambitious targets for mitigation adaptation and also uh, talking about increasing loss and damage that we're experiencing, especially in the most vulnerable countries like in the Pacific. We don't want, you know, voluntary pledges that we see also all too often at COP. We really want some time-bound commitments, uh, plans within the negotiated outcome that all countries have committed to and have agreed to. So we have uh, blocks in COP, you know, calling for different things. But the important thing is that the negotiated final outcome which in all the countries needs to be much, much more ambitious than it's ever been. And can you give us some practical examples of what you would like to see? So one of the things uh, we're going to see if we can get out of COP this time, which hasn't happened before, is a really definite time frame for the phase-out of all fossil fuels and the phase-out of all fossil fuel subsidies. And that needs to happen in a, in a time frame that's very short, um, production of fossil fuels has to peak in the next five years. Needless to say, consumption uh, is already starting to come down, but it's the production we need to target. That needs to peak. There needs to be no new fossil fuel production um, after you know next couple of years. It should have stopped already, but unfortunately many countries are still, still have a pathway of new fossil fuel uh, production in the future. So we need to get rid of that. 
get rid of any subsidies that stop uh, renewable energies being able to fill up the space occupied by fossil fuels. And um, that is a key outcome we want to see out of this COP, as well as, of course, we'd like to see the refinancing of the Global Adaptation Fund, uh, doubling or tripling, tripling of that amount, especially for the developing countries that really need it right now to climate-proof our economies. How likely do you think that there will be agreement on this? There's a lot of uh, push at the moment in the world for you know, addressing the root cause of the climate crisis, which is fossil fuels. However, there is a lot of pushback. There are countries going into this COP uh, very deliberately not wanting this discussed. Right? And, and as we know, these countries have succeeded for the last 27 COPs to keep it off the table. And so really it's just seeing if we can get those words on the table as part of the negotiated outcome. Some reference to it would be a win for, for Vanuatu. In regards to the loss and damage fund, in terms of that, what would you like to see happening? We, we're looking forward to seeing um, innovative forms of financing, uh, particularly um, if we can see fossil fuel subsidies transitioned to supporting not only uptake of renewable energy, but also loss and damage. If we can see more taxes on fossil fuels and um, fossil fuel intensive industries so that not only will it contribute the funding, but it will also help them to transition away. And in terms of loss and damage funding, we need to see that uh, programmed as programmatic budget support that is grant-based to the most vulnerable countries. Um, both um, continually, but also in response to extreme weather events. And so I think uh, uh, we would be supporting that outcome and trying to see that uh, the next phase moved as fast as possible so we start to see some money in our countries. The US President um, Joe Biden is expected to not attend this year's COP, and I think the Pope, due to medical reasons, also won't attend. Is that concerning to you that leaders such as the US won't be attending or is expected not to attend? Yeah, it is concerning. I mean, climate change is the big issue of our time for the Pacific Island states and most of the developing world. It is, it is a critical existential issue. And we, we would expect the US and the other countries that are historically responsible for causing this this climate crisis to be at the table uh, just in terms of accountability for the problem that's been caused and uh, taking responsibility for their role in it. Climate, the climate crisis and climate funding and so on is really a question of accountability and justice for countries like Vanuatu, for the former colonies, for the countries that uh, are on the front lines but did not contribute at all to the problem. And we expect to see that accountability coming from the historical emitter states and also the new emerging high emitters. Thanks to ABC Radio Australia program Pacific Beat and reporter Dubrovka Volata for that story. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. This show was made on the lands of the peoples of the Stony Creek Nation in Lutruwita, Tasmania. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. 
It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fiji and Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about natural disasters, climate change, and how traditional knowledge links them all together. My name is Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today, and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared, 